Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a very popular scripture, verse 7. We're going to uh, go through some uh, scriptures there, then hop over to 16 and, and 18 as well. When you're there with your smartphone or your device or your Bible, say amen. The reason I'm, I'm bringing this is because I just feel the Lord not wanting me to stop this, um, this uh, vein of, of understanding the season that we're in and maintaining faith. How many know that you can love God and still lose faith in the process of what we're going through? Or joy. And so I want to be able to bring this because, you know, I've personally been going through things for over three months, just a health condition that I've not been able to shake. And I haven't said that much about it. But, and the, the, this season has really tested me and tested my faith uh, to uncover a lot of things of what I really thought I, I, I believed. Because let me tell you something, pressure will squeeze out what you really believe. Can I hear an amen? There's a difference between what you say you believe and what you really believe. Amen? So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, if you're there, say amen. And you can shout back at me. You can agree. You can, you can wave your hanky. Just don't throw anything at me in Jesus' name. But we have this treasure. This is the Apostle Paul talking, who probably went through more pain and tribulation than anybody else we knew, yet he was responsible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write at least a third of the New Testament. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence and the power may be of God and not of us. Watch this now. Watch this now. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, including Christians in this, in this scripture. We are, not maybe, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. In other words, there's a perspective that he's not just trying to eliminate it. He's accepting it because it's not going to kill him. But he will feel the pressure. We are pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Oh, brother, don't confess perplexity in the body of Christ. He's not confessing that, that it's a thing that is going to happen to us, but he's saying, as a result of me being obedient to the Lord, we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Keep going. Listen to this. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, we're struck down, but that striking down will not destroy us. We're always, everybody say always, not sometimes, always we are caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus in the body, in the physical body, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. There's an exchange of the reason why we suffer because the Bible says when we endure suffering, we carry about the death of Jesus, but we also carry the life of Christ through us. Because nothing kills your flesh and your fleshly appetite than trials and tribulations. And the Lord wants to send us to a place where we are in the, the place of dependency. And so, so he keeps on going. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the what? Life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. I want you to skip down to verse 16, and then we're going to start through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man, what's our outward man? Our physical bodies. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet, hallelujah, our inward man is being renewed day by day. 
Now, I, when I first read this next phrase, I was like, come on, Apostle Paul. You have every right to, fight, to call your trials real hard ones. I'm talking about a man who got, who got stoned. How many have been stoned? Nobody. And then, then, then almost died, then God resurrected him, got back up. He got flogged. He, got, he was naked. He was hungry. He was betrayed by his own brothers. And this is what he calls his affliction. And boy, did this convict me. I've read it before, but I'm like, this is what he calls light affliction, that. For our light affliction, everything that he's going through, jail, hunger, stripping naked, all right, by his own people, getting stoned, getting flogged three times until he could barely walk. He said, it's just for a moment. But it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look, this is how you get past these afflictions, while we do not look at the things which are seen, because the more that we look and pay attention to the things that are seen, we will magnify it in our lives. And the enemy is going around with a magnifying glass to make sure you keep highlighting that affliction. But the things which are not seen, that's what we see. For the things which are seen, come on, somebody say temporary. Come on, which, say what I'm going through. My affliction, my trial, what I don't understand, it's temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Can someone say amen? This is a scripture that is very popular in the body of Christ, but, I, it, but it explains what Paul was going through, what many of us are currently going through in our lives, uh, whether it's a sickness, whether it's an affliction, whether it's a trial, whether it's a financial thing, whether it's a burden that you have with your mom or dad or your family or your brothers or your sisters, whether it's in your work. We all have some sort of affliction. And I know the term wilderness is a very popular buzzword out there for many people who love to teach, but I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're going through and identifying that as as a wilderness season because there is a divine reason why God sends you, not the devil, to the wilderness because it's a place of encounter. It is not a place of punishment, and it's more than just a place of testing. Many people have taught, you know, it's a place of testing and God shapes you. Yes, it's a place that God shapes you. Yes, it's a place that you develop the, the message of God that God has for you. Yes, it's a place where you're going to have anointing, but it's the place that God designed. I'm going to read it with Scripture where he's actually there for you to meet him. He's actually in the wilderness for intimacy. In other words, he drives us to the wilderness to strip everything out so that intimacy only with him can remain. I'm I'm preaching good this morning already. And I know that you're not going to hear, hear it at all right now, but I'm going to tell you the end goal of, of the wilderness is Jesus standing alone so that when you just continue to pray for even godly things, he drives us to a wilderness season so that he's not punishing us. But he's trying to do something in us that we don't understand. And I confess to you, I don't understand wilderness seasons, but I know the end result of what has done in my life. 
And according to Scripture, if you want to grow and have things that will last for a lifetime and eternity, not just short term, if you want to grow for the long haul, welcome to the wilderness. There's no shortcut. And I'm here to tell you that if you're in a wilderness season, you should lift up your hands and praise God because he's deemed you worthy He's deemed you worthy to get maturity in you and watch this in the future that he will trust you with great responsibilities because people who have tried to shortcut their wilderness seasons, they get leadership titles and then they destroy people in the process and they destroy themselves because, the, because humility and character and Christ-likeness and all this stuff that is competing with the character of God comes in your wilderness season. Now, I want you to see, and again, you probably, some of you guys probably have a better teaching on the wilderness than I do, but I'm up here today. And I want to share with you, I want to share with you the revelation that God has given me. And I want you just to, to come into agreement. If it doesn't fit your theological thing, just know that it's not either or, it's both. It's yours, it's ours, it's scripture, and we're in this together. But I want you to understand this because when you're in a, a wilderness phase in your life, here's the feelings that, that, that comes along with some wilderness feelings. You feel isolated, number one, even though you have friends around you. In other words, deep down inside, you have all the friends, you have all the pats on the back, you have all the words, and I'm grateful for that personally, even for me, but you feel isolated inside. So you feel like you have friends, you have community, you have real community, but there's a feeling of isolation in there. You feel like in, in your wilderness season, sometimes it feels, because I'm trying to identify, because some of you go, oh, I'm not in my wilderness. It's, it, it's necessary that we go through the wilderness. Let me, let me tell you, it's necessary. Don't shortcut the wilderness. You, the, the people of Israel had no helicopters to bypass the Jordan. They had to go through that stinky, dry, I mean, hot, murky Jordan River. Nowadays, you could just fly over it and shortcut the process. But if you shortcut the process, you shortcut the maturity. Now, now, now watch. Here's what it feels like. Everyone's getting a promotion around you except you. That's what it feels like in, in, in your wilderness season. It feels like everyone's moving forward and you're stuck. It feels like you're in, you're, I'm going to be honest with you. It feels like at times when you're in a wilderness season that you've been rejected and forgotten by God. That's what it feels like, but that's not the truth. It feels like, Lord, haven't you heard me? I am praying with you. And you know what? I could honestly look at you in the, in, the, in the eyes right now and say, I am not preaching a sermon off of a book or off of something. I am I'm preaching to you out of years and current years of wilderness that has done something in me. Now, it doesn't feel good to our flesh. It's because we're dying. We're dying to our flesh, and God wants to have deadness in our flesh because dead people don't get offended. Dead people don't get hurt. Dead people don't react. Dead people don't uh, wound other people because of the work of God that's been going on them. Come on, say amen. And so yet uh, the Apostle Paul had a different perspective than us in the wilderness season. And he said, our light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us. Why? He had an eternal perspective. It is very important that you and I, when we're going through our wilderness, that we have an eternal perspective, not a now perspective. 
I'm telling you, and I'm going to have some graphics up, up there on some slides that's going to really help you today. Because sometimes, say sometimes, I've learned this and I want to share this with you. Sometimes we could confuse discontent with wilderness, and they're two different things. Being discontent is like, I wish I had more money, or I wish I had this more. I wish I had my loved ones. I, I wish my boss was nicer, because you're discontent. But just because you're discontent, that doesn't mean that you're in the wilderness. Discontent means I wish I had a, be, a, a better friend. I wish I had seen more, my friend more often. Wilderness is different. Now, I've studied the wilderness before, but I've came, I came across, it's going to be on the screen, a definition, I want you to read it slowly, of wilderness that I want you to read because it sums up articulately, it's a little long, what we really feel. You know how, you know how sometimes we're like, how you doing, brother? Doing great. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Or when we were in, uh, my, uh, in, uh, in OCC with Pastor Benny, sometimes I just thought certain people were just over-religious. And I, you know, I'm like, how you doing? The Lord is on my side. I'm like, that's not what I asked you. The Lord's on your side whether you're having a good day or a bad day. <laughs> but like, how you doing, brother? Well, the Lord's on my side. And God forbid if you said, man, you know, I'm having a bad day. Oh, brother George, the Lord's on your side. I know the Lord's on my side. I'm just having a bad day. <laughs> we limit the Lord not being on our side because, so if you want to get true freedom, stop being religious. Stop being religious. Now, watch the wilderness. Zach, put that first slide up. Are you ready? The wilderness is when we reach the end of ourselves. Come on, somebody. When we reach the outer corners of our own capacity. When we reach the point where hope flickers dimly, where we walk the boundary line. Oh, God, I could preach from experience here. When we walk the boundary line of despair and faith. It's in that place where the power of God begins. It's the boundary line of despair. How many have felt in a season where there, you felt like, man, I could, just a couple more steps, I could fall into despair. And here I am, a strong Christian, yet on the other side, just a couple steps, I have faith. And so there's a fine line. When you're in the wilderness, you feel like you're a couple steps from, from despair and faith. But it's an emptying out process where the power of God begins in your life. Come on, say amen. Say amen. And so why do I say this? Because many times, if you're like me, we're like, get me out of this place. Get me out of this place. Why haven't you healed me? Aren't you? And then what happens is things start coming out your mouth that you have to later repent for. Not just cursing. I'm not talking about cursing. I'm talking about unbelief and doubt, which I'm going to get to. And uh, you know my faith, Lord. I've been faithful to you. Why are you taking so long? Hurry up and heal me. Hurry up and end the season. Hurry up and give me my breakthrough. What's wrong with you? So you're looking at me funny, but you know deep down inside you've had those battles. If you're like me and you're human in this place, you've had those battles. What is taking so long, Lord? I want to say something real powerful is going to make you slap your neighbor. If you're in the wilderness and you're looking for an exit, the exit is surrender. If you're in the wilderness and you're looking for a way out, if you're looking for a way out, my God, I could preach and cry at the same time. If you're in a wilderness and you're trying to exit the only way out 
of the wilderness is surrender. Now, surrender is amazing because when you surrender, you, you're, you're doing things that you have no clue what you're doing. And let me give you a little, a little secret. Sometimes in your wilderness season, your circumstances may not change, but you will change. Sometimes in your wilderness season, your circumstances may not change, but in that season, you will be transformed. You, you will be transformed and shine like gold, and people will say, man, I see more humility on you. And you're like, I'm not trying anything. It's because you are submitting and surrendering to the process of the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. He does this on purpose because he sees the end from the beginning. You may not get that promotion. You may not get that friend. You may not get that house. You may not get married. You may not get that breakthrough that you're believing for, but you'll be transformed in the process. And let me give you another secret. Sometimes the longer we fight, the longer the wilderness. The longer we resist, the longer we buck the process, the longer we go. And that's why God had to say, go around the mountain again, Israel, because you're not surrendering. You know, I'm going to tell you three lessons today for us to learn in our personal wilderness season that I am currently going through, and I'm learning this as you are learning it. And I've had 20-something years of walking with the Lord. But I'm, there, there's a dichotomy. There's a physical reality and an emotional reality that you have to go through. But then in your spirit, there's this hidden eruption of joy coming forth. There's this fountain that's coming forth, and you're like, I, my worship is more pure now than ever before. Can I hear an amen? So the lessons that I want to share with you is, number one, the, the first lesson when you're in a wilderness season, watch this. Learning to let go of trying to be in control. In other words, letting go of trying to figure everything out. And I want to say something real powerful. If you don't, this is a very hard thing to do because by nature, we all want to be in control. And if you don't believe me, just make sure that you are trying to, to, to drive, even with the person that you trust the most, your husband or your wife. Make sure, let, let's just pretend that you are driving and you, and, and, and you say, hey, do you trust me? And your spouse says, do you trust me? You say, yeah, sure. Because let me blindfold you while you're still in the driver's seat in control. And let me, let me tell you when to brake. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you when to put on the gas. Let me tell you when to turn. As much as you love and trust that person with your life, you're going to have an inclination to be like, no, 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 but I got to be in control. I don't like this feeling. Watch this. One of the key lessons while you're in the wilderness is to let go of control. I'm going to say something deep now, because without you knowing it, your need for control is controlling you. No, no, I could have dropped the mic, but this is an expensive mic, so I'm not going to do that. You, you don't understand. Your constant need for being in control is actually deceptive because the more you desire control, the more it eludes you. And so the very fact that you're needing control is controlling you. So control is controlling you. 
<laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you, you've got to get to this condition that you realize that con- the need to figure everything out is actually making you more torturous. It's, ma- it's controlling you. I know this because when I try to figure things out, I get frustrated. Why? Because the need for control in my life is actually controlling me. Control is a deceptive master because you can never win. Watch this, watch this. I'm preaching good this morning because I'm feeding myself. So you know it's good. When, when I'm getting my own message and I'm saying amen inside, I'm like, glory to God. Look at this. Look at this quote. The tyranny of control demands that you manage the outcome of your life, not God. The, the tyranny of control demands that you manage, me and you, me and you, we, we manage the outcome or future of our life, not God. Let me tell you why it's tyranny. Because control says you need to figure out why you're in this situation. You need to figure out why God hasn't answered your prayer. You need to figure out all the things that you're doing wrong. And it's a slave choking you, and it's saying that it dem- what you're really saying is, I am in charge of the outcome of my life, not God. So you, you here's the next slide. Because I just want to go right to it. When you surrender your dreams, oh, I'm going to shout with this, or your desires during your wilderness season, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're giving up hope. It means you're transferring authority. Do you, <laughs> do you know, I'm, I'm going to give you PG's definition and God's definition of surrender. When you surrender your dreams and you surrender your desires in the season that you are currently experiencing a wilderness, you're not transferring hope. You're transferring authority. You're saying, authority no longer is me. I'm putting the authority on Christ. I'm putting the authority on the Holy Spirit to watch this, watch this, in Philippians 1, 6, and I am confident of this very thing, that he who started a good work in you shall be able to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. It didn't say you will complete it. He says you cooperate and you partner, and he's in charge of completing it. I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in me. Shall be able to complete it. Let me tell you something. Because when you surrender, you're not transferring hope. You're giving authority over to God. And God says, thank you very much. I've slowed the process down because you've been in control. Now watch me get in the driver's seat because I got something better than a Camaro. I got something better than whatever, the BMW. I got something better, and it's my speed, and it's my pace, and it's my, well, watch this, and it's my strength. If you can sustain the wilderness in your strength, then you have to drive through it in your own strength. But if you could sustain the wilderness with his strength, then you give him all the vehicles, all the tools. And he says, I have tools that you've never picked up, George. I have tools that you've never dealt with. And if you let me get on the driver's seat, he's not your co-pilot. He's your pilot. All these bumper stickers. God is my co-pilot. Then you're in the wrong seat, buddy. If God is your co-pilot, that's why you're miserable. Oh, God. He's not my co-pilot. I don't want to be the pilot. 
I've tried to be the pilot, and I keep running into mountains. And God's like, I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I've been here the whole time. Just transfer authority. It doesn't feel good, though. You know why? Because we want to be in control. It's risky not to be in control. But you know what? Surrender means I'm transferring authority, and it's an addiction. Control is an addiction, and it's deceptive because you keep on wanting to be in control, and you never do. You know what it is? I heard a story. Listen to me. How many are getting something this morning? I heard a story of a screenwriter of a movie, right? I, I like to read a lot of articles in my studies. I like to listen to a lot of things and read a lot of books. And I came across this story of a screenwriter that was in a, um, a plane, and this one uh, a Christian lady was asking, uh, the, what do you do? And, she, and he goes, I'm a screenwriter. No, watch, watch, this is important. And the lady goes, well, what is the toughest thing that you need to do as a screenwriter? And the screenwriter said this, watch this. I'm going to read it so I won't mess it up. The screenwriter said this. He goes, he said, I have to write circumstances around a character that squeezes out who they really are. Are they truly a good actor or a bad actor? So he goes, my job as a screenwriter is to put them into environments that reveal who they really are and if they could handle that role. And when I heard that, I felt the Holy Spirit say something so cliche, but it was for me, so I'm going to say it anyways. He says, I am your screenwriter. And I will put people in positions and places and circumstances so it could squeeze what they really believe in that season. And when you're in a season of squeezing, what you really believe is what comes out of your mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't have to stand and ask for the gift of discernment or the gift of prophecy to know what's in your heart. All I have to do is shut up and sit back and listen to you speak for 15 minutes and you just gave me what's in your heart because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so if I just listen to you speak and it's all about man God never came through for me and all this stuff and I don't know if he's going to do that anyways you know then what was happening is this you're being squeezed by the screenwriter and what's happening is what you say you believe and what you really believe are two different things and what God wants to do he's doing that on purpose so he can take this and this and put it together and say what you say is actually what you believe. So that, watch this, if, if in the wilderness season, here's what God is after of many things. He's after what you truly believe. Do you know that it, God knows all of our hearts? He doesn't need to, us to, to know, but he lets us know so that we, we know that it's not God's fault. And that's why in Deuteronomy, he said, it was I, the Lord, who caused you to Suffer and be hungry for not 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 one year. I'm like, come on, God. You know, you, you could you could blame a little bit on the devil if I were you. Just blame a little bit on the devil. It was I that allowed you to hunger these forty years. I would have been like Jesus. I mean, God. I mean, that, that's not a smart move. Blame everything on the devil because then then people won't don't look at you bad. He said, No, it was me who caused you to hunger for forty years. Not because I'm a bad God. Here here's the reason: so that you could know what was in your heart. So that you can know what's in your heart. And here is the next slide. One of the functions of the wilderness 
is to unmask the core beliefs inside of us that we don't even know exist in us until we are in the wilderness. Go ahead, and I want to say that again. One of the functions of the wilderness is to unmask. Everybody say unmask. The core beliefs, core beliefs inside of us that we don't even know exist in us until we are in the wilderness. And you know what? Can I be honest with you? Sometimes what we say and what we, uh, and we believe not only are different, but sometimes, unfortunately, we find out what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. I trust me. If we really get transparent with each other, what really is, is, what really is God is after is, what do you really believe? Not what was taught to you, not what you could preach. Come on, somebody, there's a different. You can have a gift of preaching and teaching and still believe something totally contrary when the pressure hits. I'm not impressed with people that could preach or teach really good. I'm impressed. What do you believe after the squeezing? What do you believe after the pressing? What is your confession? Are you still saying and you're paying God is good? Are you, or are you saying this? God, if you don't give me what I want, me and you are over. We don't say that with our mouth, but with our hearts we do. Because I, I want to publicly repent before you because there's been seasons in this time where I'm under this affliction that I say, Lord, your prophets are wrong. All these words are wrong. I'll be honest. I mean, if you want transparency, I'm going to give it to you. These prophets are wrong. All these prophetic words are wrong. I'm not healed yet. And, I, and the Lord just lets me, lets me do it. Because when you have a relationship with God, you're not going to look behind your shoulder if there's lightning going to strike you, right? I just said, Lord, these prophets are wrong. All these people are wrong. All this stuff. You, you don't, you're not going to heal me. And when I said that, I felt the fear of the Lord. And I, and I said, Lord, I repent. I repent before you, and I'm going to repent before you, for you guys. It hasn't been all the time, but there have been sometimes I'm like, all oh, this stuff is just hogwash. But I know that doesn't happen to you. It just happens to me. But let me tell you something. You come out of there leaning on your beloved. And you come out there wanting and desiring him because there's a place of brokenness that he gets you that only this type of wilderness will get you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I want to say something really powerful. Look at this, look at this next scripture. It's funny because even Moses said this. Now, this is going to, be, this is going to really help you. Moses actually said the purpose that he wanted the children of Israel free from Pharaoh is so they could worship God in the wilderness. He, in other words, the purpose I want my people free is so they can hold a festival and they worship me in the wilderness. So the purpose for freedom was intimacy in the wilderness. Look at the Message Bible in Exodus chapter 5. Look at this. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Look at in the Message Bible. It's up there on your screen. After that, Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh. This is while the children of Israel were in bondage. Say bondage. Say bondage. All right. They said, God, the God of Israel says, free my people. Everybody say free. So there's a purpose for freedom here, right? Free my people so that they can hold the festival for me. What's the purpose for freedom? Free my people so they could worship me in the wilderness. 
That doesn't make sense, God. Why don't you free me and get to an air-conditioned place so that I can really enjoy worshiping you? He says, no, because you're running around trying to escape the wilderness, and I'm in the wilderness trying to run around so we can have intimacy and so you can really find me, so they can really find me and stop. Watch this. When you're in the wilderness and you allow the surrender process to happen, here's what's going to come out your mouth less. You're going to start asking for things less, and then all of a sudden you're going to start asking for him more. I find myself, some of you guys that love the old Hosanna music, I found myself just thinking in my office. I'm like, and I've been praying and praying. And sometimes you just get tired. I'm like, you know what? And God is like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you theologically, you know, in your mind. And all of a sudden, there's a song that swelled up in my spirit. And it's one of those old Hosanna songs. Maybe Christina knows it, but it's one of those old 1987, 1991. It says, I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence. Vineyard song. Feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory, in your presence. And I just lifted up my hands. And I'm like, I got to download that song. I download that song from iTunes. And I just played it. I just want to be where you are, in your, in your presence. I, I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are. You find yourself. You find yourself broken so that God could allow your heart to expand and, and start asking for him. Because he's your portion. If deliverance is your portion, then you're not going to be satisfied because you get delivered, then you need something else. If getting, if getting a job is your portion, then when you get your job, then what? That's the same reason with married folks. When you get married, if you think that the only that your your emotional things are all going to be filled when you get married, when you get married, then what? Then what happens with your heart when it goes astray in other areas and when you get hurt in other areas? Why? Because God wants more than you asking for things from him. And the wilderness will bring that to you. Can I hear an amen? The purpose of the wilderness was intimacy. Say that with me. The purpose of freedom was the wilderness. Say it one more time. The purpose of freedom was the wilderness. Glory to God. And here's what I found out, and I wrote this down. When you come to a place of surrender, you actually start saying, I'm not in charge of making my desires happen. You are. I'm not, desire for, I'm not responsible for that house. You are. I'm not responsible for that ministry. You are. I'm not responsible for that business. You are. Yes, I partner with you, and I do my job, but you are responsible to make it. Why? Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. When God is building something, you, you do the hammers on your end, but then let him do what you can't do. And so you have to make sure that you get to a place of changing managements. Would you put that next slide there up there for me? When you change who's in charge of the management and outcome of your plans and desires, it will change your perspective and your confession during your wilderness phase. When you change managements, the problem is that we are the managers, and we want to be the managers, and there, but there's a new boss in town that has been there for a while, and he's just been waiting for you to hand over the management papers over to him. Let me tell you something. That's why the Bible says it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. Things that don't think that it's going to happen, it's going to happen when you surrender. And let me give you a little clue. You may not get it like you want it, but it may come in a different angle. But I tell you, your heart's going to come alive. Can I hear an amen? Number two, 
Are you getting something? The second lesson in, in the wilderness season is this. Trust the process. It's never about the promised land. It's about what the Lord is doing in you and through you in the journey. I like this because a lot of Christians have destination disease. Destination disease is you're satisfied with getting to a destination and skipping the process that actually the process is where all the work is being done. All the work is being done in the process phase. And we just want to skip that and get to the, to the destination. But when we get to the destination, we come across crippled because we weren't equipped properly. And that's why waiting on the Lord is so important because you have to realize that the, the byproduct of surrender and trusting God is that you will be enlarged in the waiting. I'm not talking about getting fat. I'm talking about enlarged in your heart, enlarged in your capacity, enlarged in your, in your faith. There's enlargement in the waiting. Nobody likes to wait. But in the waiting, there's pain. There's confusion, there's frustration. In the waiting, there's crankiness. In the, in the waiting, there's fleshly eruptions. But let me tell you what happens. In the waiting, you will become enlarged. Look at this verse. I never saw it until I read it in the, in the message Bible, in the message version. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Look at this, verse 22 through 25. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain, say pain, Throughout the world are simply birth pangs, but it's not only around us, it's within us. It's within us, these, these pains. The Spirit of God is arousing within us. We're also feeling the birth pangs. Now look at this, look at this. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. Now watch this. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Oh, come on, say that with me. Say waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. How many have been pregnant here? Come on. All you ladies been pregnant. That, the, 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 the pregnancy, the waiting and the pregnancy doesn't diminish you. Why? Because you know that there's life in you. Watch this. We are enlarged in the waiting. Did you hear what I, did you hear this? We are enlarged, not when we jump around and holler and praise God and everything's good. When we're waiting, we're enlarged. We are enlarged in the waiting. In the waiting, we, our capacity for God increases. I just spit on the floor. Sorry about that. Don't, don't look at me like, don't look at me funny. We are enlarged in our capacity. Isaiah 54, stretch out your cords. Stretch out your nets, your, your tents, because you will be enlarged and your territory will be enlarged. Jabez says, I want to enlarge you to enlarge my territory. Now look at this. It, we are enlarged in the waiting. Don't see. Listen, we, of course, don't see. Oh, this is so beautiful. What is enlarging us? In other words, in the waiting, we have, there's an invisible solutions being deposited in your spirit. While you wait, all these things that you don't see are being deposited in us. But guess what? Next time when you go through something, you say, this is not that bad. And you're like, man, last year that thing that I'm going through now would have knocked me over. I don't know why I'm standing. Because you've been enlarged in the waiting. How many want to be enlarged in your capacity for God? Then, there's, then there is a waiting process that you and I have to go through so that our heart could get the fullness of what God has for us. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? 
And when I get to number three, the worship team could come up here, which is now. <laughs> number three. The, the, third, the third lesson in the wilderness is this. Fight unbelief with faith. Fight unbelief with faith. Come on, say fight unbelief with faith. So in other words, we fight the good fight of what? Faith. I'm going to say a couple things about unbelief that is very scary. And I want to say something very important to you as, our, as my RCC family. One of the biggest things, and again, I'm going to be transparent, the number one thing that attacked me while I was going through the wilderness season and while I'm going through the wilderness season is not, I'm going to be transparent, it's not like drugs or, or pornography and all that stuff. Thank God, none, none of that stuff calls to me. But what was attacking me the most is a, fee, is a desire for unbelief. And you need to fight unbelief with faith. And why do I say that? Because in our frustration, we will give into and sometimes slip. And the scariest place you and I could be, my friends, hear me well. The scariest place you and I could be is in a perpetual season of unbelief. I'm going to say something that's very important now. I want you to hone in on me, zoom in on me, camera, zoom in on me for a second here. God attributes and is uh, uh, synonymous unbelief and wickedness. Unbelief and wickedness is the language that God correlates each other. So you say, well, I'm I'm not wicked. I'm just struggling with unbelief. But the scriptures, say the scriptures, say unbelief is actually as wickedness. Wait, 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 wait. Because just somebody goes, oh, I'm just you, and I, I could, you know, struggle with a little unbelief. Yeah, if you feel it, reject it. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him. Now watch. And unbelief, these are two nuggets I'm going to give you, is actually the precursor for all backslidings. I, I'm going to say that something very powerful that you probably won't hear in, in some other places. We backslide some people, and we don't know where it came from. I'm going to tell you biblically where it comes from. You say, oh, there's other things. Sure, there's other things. But at the core of the beginning phases of backsliding is unbelief. And I'm going to show you scripture. Do you remember Peter? This is not the scripture. But you remember Peter confessed Jesus? And when he backslided, the progression of backsliding is when he kept unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. You're one of him, aren't you? No, I'm not. But you sound like him. I told you I never met the man, all right? Leave me alone. But, but are you sure? Because you really look like, and then he was like, beep, 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 The Bible says he began to curse. I said I don't know the man. And unbelief, full-blown, full-blown will lead to death. That's what James says. But it's the beginning stages of hardcore backsliding. If you're str- and, 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 it, and, it, and it hardens your heart. When you've been believing for something for a long time and you, you let unbelief slip in there, that's a precursor for backsliding and watch this, wickedness. I'm going to show you so you don't look at me like I have a potato on my head. Hebrews 3, verse 16 and 19. I, I feel the Lord in this place. How many feel the Lord in this place? Look at this in the NLT. And who, look at me for a second. Do you know that the Bible says the children of Israel did not enter rest, not because just they were disobedient, 
he, he narrows disobedience and gives disobedience a word. Because disobedience could be, you know, lust. It could be not doing what God says he says to do. Disobedience could be, you know, anger. And all that is disobedience. But he narrows disobedience, like disobedience, the whole, that whole category, in one major word. And who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? He's talking about God's people here. Wasn't it the people Moses out of Egypt? Who's he talking about here, guys? Speak back at me. Who's he, who's he talking about? God's people, not heathens, not the world, right? Look at the next verse. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? Watch this. Look at me. Look at the next verse. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that said they will never enter the rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed God? Now look at verse 19. Disobedience, right? So we see then that because of their, uh-oh, unbelief. Wait a minute. He just said wicked. He, he just said sins and all that stuff. And then he narrows it down in verse 19. He says, so we see then that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter their rest in the promised land. What are you battling with that's putting seeds of unbelief in your heart? What, what is not going right in your life that you've been contending for that is sowing seeds that God is not really answering like he said he would answer? And I'm just going to go try something else. You know what James chapter 1 says? Put that up there. I'm almost done because I feel the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. You can read it with me. Take notes. But let him ask. When he asks for something, let him ask in faith with what? With what? You know what doubt is, right? Unbelief. With no doubting. For he, man, this, I've read this a million times, but boy, it struck me like a sword. And I love it. Be, be, love, be happy when God strikes you with a sword. That means your heart is still tender. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts. Let me put it in the, in the 2019 PGV version. For he who has unbelief and doubt is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, this is, this is why we don't get our, our prayers answered, even as Christians. For let not that person suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now that, wait a minute, that, that, in our millennial culture, in our grace and love culture, we don't want to preach that the Lord is not saying what he actually really says. He says, if you doubt without repenting, because we, we, we have, he, we, he gives us the opportunity to repent, but if there's doubt, and there's unrepented doubt, unbelief. He says, when you ask for things, even like, watch this, I'm going to make it real. Lord, I just pray that you just, you just heal my body. And, in your, and, you, and if you're conscious, because speak out loud, you know he's really not going to heal you, right? You know, you, know, you know you've been praying this for like 100 times already, right? Do you know that even though you say something, does it mean that you're believing it? He says, he goes, start all over. He goes, don't expect to receive anything. I would have loved that it says he's a double-minded man uh, and don't, don't think that he'll receive 50% of his prayers. He says, don't expect that person to receive anything from the Lord. Yes, is there grace? Yes. Is there love? Yes. Is he sovereign? Yes. Could he do what he wants? Yes. But that doesn't give us a license to doubt just because he's great, fully, abundantly graceful and merciful. You fight doubt with faith. 
He says, when you pray, ask in faith, because if you pray and you don't, especially in the wilderness season, don't even expect your prayers to be answered. How many people have certain prayers that you want answered? Now, 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 now let, me tell, let me just pause and say this, because I feel this from the Lord. Some of you had prayed in faith and still not seen the answer. That doesn't mean we have a license to doubt either. It means that, that he's probably giving you a place of surrender so that you could transfer authority and say, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I'm trying to make it, I'm tired of making it happen on my own strength. I'm just going to let God do it and I'm not going to strive and I'm going to be a spiritual Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat said, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For when the enemy comes, all you got to do is lift up your voice and begin to worship God and praise God. And I'm going to cause the enemy to be confused with each other. And all you got to do is get out of the way. Hallelujah. And the last thing I want to say is this. How do you get there? How do you magically say, I'm just going to believe? How do you, how do you magically stay there? Do you say, well, I'm going to decide now. I'm just going to believe. Here's what you have to resolve in your spirit. How you get there, look at that last slide, is this. You have to be determined. It's not plan A. It's not plan B. It's plan God. There is no plan B. There is no plan C. It's plan God or bust. It is God, ride or die, baby. It is, I'm, he's going to take me there, and I'm going to believe that I'm going to get it. And if I die and don't get it, I'm still going to believe that he's going to be. It's not, I don't have a plan B. I don't have a plan C. It's plan God or bust. If I die, I die. If I go broke, I go broke. If I never get married, if I never get the house, if I never get my friend, it's plan God. Oh, come on, lift up your voice. Stand up to your feet right now. Stand up to your feet. Come on. I want you. There's freedom in this room. There's a purpose for your wilderness. He wants to meet you. Just surrender today. Come on. Just surrender in your wilderness. Despite what you're going through, just surrender your affliction and draw near to Jesus because he wants you to meet him in the wilderness. Come on. Come on. Lift up your hands right now to the Lord. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.